Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Live Bay Current. There you go. Wow, he's got the podcast voice. The whole restaurant thing falls through. I would love to do a podcast. Why don't you? What would I talk about? <laughs> we just sat here for like 45 minutes. You're like the Dos Equis man, like the most interesting man in the world. You've oh done a little bit of everything, lived a little bit of everywhere. I don't even know why you moved to freaking Asia so we can, you know, wow. maybe dive. See? Yeah. You've got a whole lot to talk about. Yeah, okay. okay. Let's start this podcast, though. Okay. From KCBS Radio, I'm Matt Pittman, and this is Bay Current for Tuesday, February 1st, the first day of Black History Month. And throughout the month, I'll bring you stories and conversations centered around Black History Month around the Bay. Today's our first installment, and the voice you heard at the top of the podcast, that's Carter Lewis. My producer, Sidney Fishman, and I spent part of the day yesterday with Carter on the outdoor patio behind his restaurant, Soul Slice, in Oakland. And the importance and vital roles and struggles of Black-owned businesses in our communities have never been more evident and prominent than they have been during the pandemic. Restaurants like Soul Slice on San Pablo Avenue in Oakland, retailers, goods and services providers, serving not just Black neighborhoods and communities, serving all of us, providing employment during some of these toughest times over the last two plus years, and often shining a light on the disproportionate impacts of the pandemic on Black and minority populations. I'll let Carter explain Soul Slice in his own words. And fair warning, you're gonna be hungry. Concisely, Soul Slice is an expression of just contemporary soul food. The goal is to honor the tradition without being, you know, dogmatic about it. Like, sure. you know, being very creative, using um, modern, modern cooking techniques, using, um, you know, a play on like the ingredients, mm -hmm. so not traditional. <clears throat> so that was really the goal. And the focus is to honor the heirloom ingredients of African-American cuisine, which is collard greens, black eyed peas, fried chicken, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of my approach. And it's just an homage to my, to my culture. I've done a lot of restaurants and a lot of food, but I've never paid homage to my own people. This is the first place that you've owned where that was the Soul center of your menu, food. and you want—that's the story you wanted to tell. That's interesting. Yeah, I think. How did well, you arrive at the decision to to say I'm going to do this? Oh, wow! Um, when I was doing hillbilly tea in Louisville, mm -hmm. people would always comment 
uh, particularly black folk, would say, you know this is really soul food. <laughs> and what we were doing was we were doing Appalachian cuisine. That was our goal, was to sort of do this nouveau Appalachian cuisine. So we only use ingredients that were indigenous to the Appalachians. So it really didn't have anything to do with the South, you know. And But, you know, Kentucky... <laughs> sort of it's a blurred line um, and so people would always say that to me you know it's soul food <clears throat> and, I, and I would eat at all the soul food places I always eat at soul food places when I travel anyway but in my neighborhood in New York were two of my favorite soul food places that I go to all the time and in Louisville I ate at all the soul food places just to try and I was just inspired and I just like why have I not done soul food this is where I started yeah. you know I'm not classically trained as a chef this was like my love for food started with my family and all the influences that I grew up with with my with my grandmother and my mom and, you know, my aunts and uncles. So why have I not done this? And I felt like I needed to honor my own tradition. Sure. Right? Soul Slice actually started um, in my mind about seven years ago and in Louisville, Kentucky. <clears throat> and I thought, I want to do this soul food place. I want to make it really cool and hip and fun and, like, not your grandmother's soul food, but, like, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I pitched it to people, and people were like, uh-huh, yeah, whatever. <clears throat> so no one really got it. And then we teed it up a little bit more in terms of development, and it just never went anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, subsequently, I left Louisville, and when I first came back to the Bay Area, living in Oakland, I was inspired by Oakland, all the newness, all that was happening and I thought, wow, we could do Soul Slice here. So that was five years ago. And I formed this little committee, and we just talked about it. We talked about the brand, what it would mean, what would we do. And it just never went anywhere. But it was still burning my heart, so I just put it on the back burner. thought maybe one day it'll come. <clears throat> and then um, when the shutdown happened, the pandemic hit the world. That's really what inspired it, because... It was just crazy. I mean, you know, you lived the shutdown. Everyone lived the shutdown. To be still like that really mm -hmm. put you in a different space. <clears throat> and for me, I was getting uh, a lot of calls and emails and messages from people who I'd worked with over the years all over the world telling me about their issues, you know. Hmm. Um, the restaurant's closed. Yeah. I don't have a job. These are people who live, like, literally tip to tip, paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. What do you do? Um, uh, one of my ex-employees had has two children couldn't get unemployment because there was a backlog yeah how do i feed my kids couldn't get food stamps because you had to prove you had unemployment to get, yep. it was like and so i'm hearing all these stories like <laughs> it destroyed me you know it just really destroyed me and i'm the kind of person like what did i give back what did i contribute and it just really made me think about the industry what i was doing with my life my next step which was i was trying to figure out what i wanted to do um and i thought and that that week, that first week, I thought, I need to do something. Like, what can I do to help? And um, and I felt a little guilty because I wasn't struggling like a lot of people that I knew were struggling. Right. So it just, you know, I've I've done really well in the business, but a lot of people have not done really well in business. Yeah. So that didn't feel good to me. And so I thought, what can I do? And my my main thought was restaurants can do better. Like we can we can do better by our people. And um, that was one of the reasons why I had left restaurants. You know, I closed all my restaurants mm -hmm. five years ago and said no more. <laughs> oh, you were done. I was done. You were done. And so I thought, wow, no, no, no. What can I do? What can I do? And 
that was just burning. And I, all of a sudden, one night I was about to go to bed and, you know, it just, I was like, soul slice. Oh my gosh. So should I do it? Remember that? I was like, (laughs) no. And I was like, no, no, no. That's crazy. That's crazy. And I kid you not, that week was George Floyd. Wow. So we're talking 2020, June or May? That was like um, May. You know, just sort of like a little nudge. Because if you're in that space of thinking, <laughs> what, have I, what, have, what have I done? What, what am I contributing? You know, how can I help? And obviously, people across the country felt that way, right? I mean, for me, it was twofold. One, it was restaurants. Mm-hmm. But the other part, in terms of being a black person in America, yeah. and for me, this narrative has not been told. Our contributions to the landscape of you know, the culinary experience in America has yeah. not been told yeah. or honored in mm-hmm. the way that it should. So it was very important to me. So that to the backdrop of what was happening with Black Lives Matter movement and what was happening with, you know, police brutality, all this stuff, like it was just coming to a head. And, you know, I thought, wow, this is the time. I mean, you know, we yeah. <laughs> this is a time of reckoning. Let's like, you know, let's deal with all of this. Uh, this is going back maybe 10 years. I knew the trend of Southern food. Yeah. And I knew that that would sort of you know, encompass soul food, so the narrative would be out there. But um, what bothered me was on the on these cooking shows and in cookbooks, people sort of like talked about Southern food and gave credit to New Orleans and North Car- South Carolina, all stuff. Yeah. But they didn't talk about Black people, and they didn't talk yeah. about Edna Lewis. They didn't talk about all of these uh, amazing people who contributed to that soul food cuisine, I mean, uh, Southern cuisine. So I started this thing where I would say to friends and people who work for me in particular, when they talk about soul food, I go, so you parse that. Are you talking about soul food or Southern food? And I'd have arguments with people like, what are you talking about? I'm like, look. And so yeah. black people would know what I was talking about. Like, what do you put ham hock in those greens? <laughs> what do you do with it? And so it just became sort of um, a thing for me that I felt we were being dissed in a way. Like it was not, it was not. It wasn't fair, you know. And then the more I, I offended um, uh, some soul food scholars to learn more about soul food and the heritage of African American cuisine, and I learned a lot. I learned about rice coming to this country. You know, we wouldn't have rice in America if it wasn't for the slaves. Really? Yes. We brought rice here. We brought the seeds <laughs> and also the know-how. You know, slaves, in, wow. um, when they would auction off slaves, when they would auction off slaves, if you were a farmer from West Africa, you got the highest price. I mean, $2,000 for a slave, $5,000 for a slave, $10,000 for a slave. Nowadays, that's like a quarter million, 150000 I can't do the math. It's a lot of money, $150,000 mm-hmm. for a slave. I mean, it's like if you, the equivalent, that's a lot of money. You know, as opposed to $1,000 to $2,000 for a woman who can make more slaves, it's very valuable, too. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that was, like, worth something if you could. And, and, the, and the rice industry, people don't realize the rice industry grew and grew and grew throughout slavery. All that money, all that blue blood money and all those families in the South, right, built on the backs of those slaves mm-hmm. who had the, the know-how, right? Yeah. But people don't talk about the fact that when slavery ended, <laughs> that industry ended as well. Really? Yes. Wow. You know, we we didn't we brought so much to this country 
people don't realize that in West Africa, at the time, that was the Silk Road. Yeah. Like import, yeah. export industry, yeah. all that. So people in West Africa knew how to use these ingredients from far because they, they were exposed to it. Yeah, it's like the world's trading post. So, you know, what this country inherited by bringing slaves, they weren't bringing um, jungle people. <laughs> they were bringing scholars, learned people who knew how to do things, and we contributed to that to this country. And so I think that's the food, that's the narrative that I want to focus on. So with, with Soul Slice, what we focus on, we focus on the rice, Right, because the rice crop happened, we we are we are so important to that story, and that's not being told. Um, things like black eyed peas, the way that we cook food, the fact that like when the master came in and said, "Hey, back in Italy, we made macaroni and cheese like this. You better make this macaroni and cheese." He figured it out, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it be, you know what I mean. And it was so good that it became you know that was a that was a black man working in the kitchen that made that famous. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. So there's just so many of these stories that are not told. Um, and it's it's the American story and biscuits. How we connect the biscuits to it is, you know, there is nothing more American than a biscuit. Do you, do you not do you know that? No, but I agree. I mean, because, again, I grew up in the South too, and like my grandmother made the best biscuits. Right? I've still never had a biscuit as good as she. Can you make can it. only yeah. get biscuits in America. A biscuit in 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 the rest of the world is a cookie. Is a cookie. I was about cracker. to say, yeah. Quickly, the story of biscuits, which I love, and I hope someone writes a book on it one day. You know. What happened was in England, they called it a biscuit, biscuit, biscuit. And they used to have biscuits that they would send um, on the ship for the crew to eat because it wouldn't go bad. Yeah. So they can make it to all across the world in these ships with these little biscuits. And in like fact, biscuits as we're talking about, like no cr crackers, little crackers like and cookie, the English like hard kind of crack hard. cookies. Yeah, these were so okay. hard. Sailors used to write messages to their lovers <laughs> and mail the biscuits. And they would arrive with the message on it. That's how hard these biscuits were. Can you imagine yeah. eating this? No. <laughs> so <laughs> all of a sudden, one day, someone discovered leavening. They were in exporting, you know, leavening. And they said, oh, wow. And someone just tried it, put it in the biscuit. It became soft and desirable. Mm. And that was the journey to America. And so it became a, a, an American favorite. That's how it became wow. a favorite. Because when people are like, oh my God, you put that in there and you can lift the biscuit and it's going to be like bread. Oh yeah. my gosh. And that's how we got them. It's the first food of America. Like to me, I think it's the most amazing, fascinating story. Yeah. You know, it's the original American food. You can only get it in America. Carter started Soul Slice during the pandemic, opening on a date that Black Americans have celebrated since 1866 but was just acknowledged as a holiday by the federal government last year. You opened on Juneteenth. Yes. Right? Yes. Juneteenth, 2021? Yes. Right. How long did you know that you wanted to do that? Was that kind of a spur of the moment thing? How'd that come Juneteenth? about? Juneteenth? Yeah. <laughs> Being the day that you wanted to open. Um, I mean, you know, there was, there was two schools of thinking. Like, this is a great idea. Let's wait to figure out what restaurants are doing. Mm -hmm. Pandemic settles down. We get out of this. We probably this restaurant, we have a new concept, we go. But I was like, no, <laughs> the world needs Soul Slice now. Yeah. We need some healing now. Food is healing. And let's just go now. And so I had a sense of urgency. I'm, I'm like that. Like, I'm the kind of person when I want to do something, I want to do it now. Like, because that's about I'm a like, <laughs> year's turnaround time. I'm like, to I find got a place. time to wait. You know, Does, tomorrow's not promised. Move, move, move. That's how I think. You opened a restaurant not only in a pandemic, but in a year. Yeah. 
That's yeah. wild. It was almost a year to the day that we uh, opened from yeah. the original concept. Basically, I, I was pushing. I really, I feel like, you know, it has to have some significance. If we didn't open on Juneteenth, no one would pay attention. Like, you know, soul food is so, is, is so overlooked and treated mm -hmm. so badly and not taken serious. And so I thought, if we open on Juneteenth, at least we get everyone's attention. At least people will be, you know, reverent and respectful of soul food and black people mm -hmm. food culture sure. uh, on that day, if any day. And so, you know, I felt that that was a good and and, you know, I'm sort of a cornball in the sense that, you know, Juneteenth for for the for black Americans, like it's a it's a pretty important day. And there's a lot of a lot of energy from the ancestors on that day. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of oh, mystical, that's... but, but I really, I really believe that. And For so sure. to honor, you know, my, my grand, my, my great grandmother and all the, all my family and my ancestors, I thought it would be the perfect day to do it. What has the response been? And why did you want to open it here in Oakland as opposed to say San Francisco or anywhere else in the Bay? Mm. Well, the response has been amazing and a bit overwhelming. I mean, people, you know, I mean, the reviews, like, they're so good, and mm. it, it means a lot. I love that people feel very connected yeah. to our space when they come in. They, they really love it. Um, but I chose this space because I did some research, and I learned a lot about the Golden Gate neighborhood. Uh, I learned that this historically was a very important um, black community, and still is, um, in the Bay Area. And... Um, just a lot of history. The Muslim Bakery, bakery was across the street. People don't mm. realize that in this corridor, um, there was about 50 bars, restaurants. Like really? it was a happening area. On the corner here on the street, there was a fish place uh, on the like corner. Like what time frame-ish? This was in the 70s, 80s. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And um, I think in the 50s is when this area was like kind of nothing. And then in the 50s, it started growing, and black people just gravitated to this area. I don't really know why, but they just it just became a strong black black community. And all the churches you see when you, were, when you drive down mm -hmm. um, uh, San Pablo. Across the street was a place called City Cafe. Uh, this was Eastern Cafe. Um, this was a Chinese restaurant that sold soul food. A Chinese restaurant that sold soul food. You could get chitlins food. and greens along with your dumplings okay. and chow mein. Okay. But anyway, it was a huge operation. And the magic of this place, which I didn't know until after we opened, is it has that history. And yeah. so many black people in Oakland who grew up here came to Easter City Cafe as a kid. Yeah. I mean, this, especially my generation. So it was really So this weird. was like the soul food spot in this, this neighborhood. Was this, this was a soul food spot, right? They All saw, the way back It was then. Chinese, but they sold soul food. And you didn't know that when you were... I had no idea. Wow. I knew about the Muslim bakery, and I knew that there was some other places, but I was trying to find out the information. But um, anyway, so what? I'll tell you this funny little story, how I found out. Um, when we first opened, I remember saying to my team, it's so weird because... <laughs> This was so racist. I said, but white people come here and they love it. But then black people come here and they have a totally different experience. Hmm. Like, I don't know if it's the food. 
normal. <laughs> it was like, you know, it's like I didn't know, I didn't really get it at first, and I was like, like you could feel it, like, like literally. I mean, this sounds very racist, but like white people would come in and they were like, "This is so delicious! Oh my god!" Blah, blah, blah. They be into the food, you know, even the cultural stuff. They, you know, they talk about it, like whatever. Sure. But the palpable feeling that black people were getting, I was like, "What is wrong with these people?" Because they would be like. Oh my God. Like, you know, it's like they walk in the door, but I'm like, you haven't, I love this place. I'm like, you haven't eaten anything yet, you know? So it wasn't until um, one day, Miss Johnny May walks in the door. Miss Johnny May is this woman. I don't know her age. She's um, older lady. In case she hears this, I don't want to say, but she's old lady, older, older black woman, beautiful woman. Walks in, she had a hat on, beautiful, gorgeous woman, dressed nicely. And she says, she looks over at me, she walks in, she looks around, she looks over at me, she says, is this your place? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, come here. And she gives me this, and I'm like, and she oh. like, and she hugs me, and she squeezes me, she looks at me, and she kind of has tears in her eyes. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, did my grandmother sit her like this? <laughs> Do I know her? And I did not know what was going on. Yeah. And she sat down, her and her friend, and they ordered food to go. And she proceeded to tell me stories about how her and her husband came here, their kids came here, all these events, they had the family functions, they came here. This was such an important place. Easton, did you know that? And I had no clue. I was like almost crying because I, I did not know it had all that history. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa. I mean, Miss Johnny became my friend. And um, then it made sense. And so people who grew up in this area, the fact that we open in this building has a lot of significance and that a lot of meaning to people. Really incredible. And that's why we're fighting to stay here, honestly, yeah. because right. of that. Carter Lewis, this was an awesome conversation. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Carter. Soul Slice, like so many places, is still feeling the effects of Omicron. They're only hosting private events right now but they'll be back open up for their regular Wednesday through Sunday restaurant hours in March. Check out their website, soulslicepizza.com for more info. And a special thanks to Sydney Fishman who helped produce today's episode of Bay Current. Subscribe to Bay Current on the Odyssey app or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube on the KCBS Radio YouTube page, and there's a link in the show notes. That's it for today's Bay Current. I'm Matt Pittman. We'll chat again tomorrow. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.